Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews and chapter 12. We have one of our free Bibles, that's page 1119. 1119. Hebrews chapter 12 and reading for our text, verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Hebrews 12 and verse 3. Consider him. In the preceding chapter, Hebrews 11, we have set before us the Old Testament saints that lived and walked by faith, dying in faith, believing that the seed of the woman should come, the Redeemer should come. They set before us, and the Holy Spirit has seen fit to record in the Word of God, not just in this chapter, but right through, witnesses of those that have handled and tasted and felt of the things of God, those who have known that they are sinners and testified of it, spoken of what they felt going on within, the struggles that they'd had, the burdens that they bore, and the relief and helps that they found in the Lord. We have these that are set before us in the Scriptures, but also many of us have those that we have known and we walk with, We've heard them, we've seen them. Uh, Their their experience has not just been what we have read on the pages of the Gospel Standard or some obituary. We've actually got a personal uh, knowledge of what things they uttered, the things that they said. We've heard their groans, we've seen their tears, we've heard their praises. And very often it has been a great comfort and great help to think of those who have gone before. When the devil comes in and he says, well, there's nothing in religion, it's only just imagined, there's no reality, there's no heaven to come and there's no real blessing at all, then at times like that, sometimes it's been a great help when the Lord has brought before us one after another of his dear people and the grace has shone in them. We've seen how they've walked, we've seen how they've died, and the sense of reality has brought the devil to flee. And it's a great mercy that God has given us in the Word and in our lives, those that are such witnesses. The Apostle Paul speaks of himself as being such a witness of one brought from such enmity and hatred to God to a love to the Lord and an apostle, calls himself the chief of sinners and unworthy to have had anything, shown him of the mercies of God. And in the New Testament, that personal witness is a very, very important thing. And many that have never read the word of God, or if they have read it, they've got a wrong message from it, or is that counted and taught by others, when they see the lives of the people of God, then they see something different than the world. 
they see another testimony, a living testimony, and they ask those questions. And we are told that we are to give a reason of the hope that is set and that is within us to everyone that asks us of it. And we to do it humbly, but taking it as an opportunity. We are to be the salt and light of the earth and in turn show to another generation the wonderful works of God. They shall tell the fathers to the children the things of God. The Lord has ordered it like that and there's precious promises that are given to those generations that are following. But the Lord has given another, another life, a blessed life, an example and one set before us, who is set before us in the text, and that is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The chapter here begins with the cloud of witnesses, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. And then immediately goes from those witnesses to our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. For consider him. Think carefully of him. Don't just pass over quickly all that he endured, all that he went through, but consider it carefully. Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint, in your minds. Here then is an antidote to that weariness and the burdens and sins and the sorrows of the way in he that walked the same way that came to this world that lived here below that died and rose again ascended up into heaven. We are to consider him. So on this evening to firstly consider the work he came to do and secondly the victory he gained and thirdly to consider the suffering he endured in gaining that victory. But firstly consider the work he came to do. We think of the introduction to the name that he was to be called, given to Mary, given also to Joseph. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We go right back to the first promise in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head. Thou shalt bruise he shall bruise thy head, Satan's head, thou shalt bruise his heel. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to redeem and to save his people from their sins, from the power and dominion of them here, and from condemnation, from eternal death, giving them spiritual life and eternal life, a body and a soul. 
The Lord had a work that he had to do. Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business, was his words when he was about 12 years of age, to Mary and to Joseph. We must always remember this. However low, however discouraged we might be, and especially when we feel and know our sinnership, and know what it is to feel under condemnation, we have to remember why was it the Lord came? What was his mission? Why did he leave his throne on high? Why was there all that anticipation of the Old Testament saints for him to come in if there was nothing for him to do? If there was no work for him to do? If there was no people for him to save? If it wasn't too bad and that it could be found some other way, we ought to remember there was a work, a work that only he could do, a work that had such anticipation leading up to it, and now in the Gospel, a work that is to be remembered, remembered in the ordinances of the house of God, baptism and the Lord's Supper, remembered by his people, and preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. We are to think on this. And you might say, yeah, but you, you don't know my sin. You don't know all that I'm going through. You don't know what I'm like. The Lord does. Every heart knoweth its own bitterness. And as in water face after the face, so the heart of man to man, he fashioned their hearts alike, and we are all alike for them. There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. We might think that we are the only ones like we are, but if we be the worst of sinners, was it not that for sinners the Lord came? And the Lord suffered and bled and died. Let us not lose sight of the reason why the Lord came, the work that he came to do, and he is able to save unto the uttermost all that come unto God by him. To live a life and work out a righteousness that he should give to his people and to pay the debt that they owed and to release them from condemnation, to then give the promise of the Holy Spirit to apply that work and bring them to believe in what he has done. That really is the summary of what a believer is brought to believe to believe what Christ has done, to trust in what Christ has done for them. And the very evidence is done for them is that they've been raised up to a concern and to feel their sinnership and to want him to do it for them and to feel their need of him. And where that is so, they may know that it was done for them. And so he has passed by them while they are in their blood and bid them live. He has given the concern. He has given the sense of sinnership. He's made their souls real. 
He's brought them to pray. He's brought them to seek after him. Really, the coming of the Lord and the work that he has to do is a complete work. A work from the time that the people were given him by his Father to redeem. And the time when he shall say, Behold, I and the children whom thou hast given me. And so I want to think secondly of the victory he gained. Now text says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. In this second point, consider him the victory he gained. He came to do a work and he accomplished that work. We read, didn't we? The words of our Lord on the cross, it is finished. The Lord did gain that victory. We have a beautiful testimony of that in the 15th chapter of Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians when the final victory is to be realised from verse 54 the apostle says so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption that's in the resurrection that this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He applies that, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. In the preaching, in this lifting up of the Lord Jesus Christ is not in vain. That please God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. The victory the Lord accomplished at Calvary, the empty tomb is a seal and assurance given unto all men in that God raised him from the dead. It's a victory over death, a victory over the grave, a victory over the sentence, the just sentence of death for sin, because Christ did not die for his own sins. He shall be cut off, says Daniel, but not for himself. No, he laid, him, laid his life down a ransom for his people, a substitutionary offering for his people. And that is a victory that is gained, a victory over sin and death and hell, and victory over the world as well. The Apostle uh, John, when he writes in his epistles, he speaks of the victory that we have in a way of experience over the world and the things of it. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, we read, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, 
even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And in our text and the context, we are looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And our Lord himself prayed concerning Peter that his faith, that it did not fail. And that what victory that the Lord has accomplished is a victory that yet is uh, being unfolded in every single sinner that is brought to eternal life. One of the doctrines we most surely believe is the irresistible work of grace in a sinner's heart. Those for whom Christ has died and paid the debt and settled that account, they must, they shall be brought to spiritual life, they shall endure unto the end, and they shall be with the Lord in heaven. cannot be that our Lord's prayer of John 17 come to nothing. Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. It shall be accomplished. He is the first fruits. He is the first begotten from the dead. He is already in heaven. And it is that assurance that all his dear people will be with him in glory. The word of, the glory of, of God does not set forth victory in, in, in the balance or uncertain. It sets it forth as being already gained and sure and certain. When we think of those Old Testament saints, also forth in Hebrews 11, as yet there had been no blood shed, not the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but on the promise of it they were raised to spiritual life. On the promise of it they were saved, they were brought to heaven. And in due time the Lord fulfilled that promise. And so we have that assurance as well, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So we are to consider the victory already gained, not by us, but by the Lord, for us, on our behalf, that which he has accomplished and he has done all the time in the gospel, where to be brought from ourselves to the Lord. The hymn writer says, Out of self to Jesus lead, for and in us intercede. Lead us down to death and there banish all our guilt and fear. All the time we uh, tend to be looking inward and yes, there is an inward exercise and the reality of sin is within. It must be a personal, uh, personal experience of it. But the remedy is not within us. The remedy is not within us. That's outside us. That's in Christ. We not fall for that mistake in thinking, well, it must be an inward work, it must be that which we know and is going on within and we partakers of it uh, and then follow on to, with the thought, well, yes, but the victory must be wrought in us in, in a sense that we bring it about and we accomplish it. No what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. It is that the righteousness of the law be fulfilled in us that walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Be spiritually minded is life and peace, to be calmly minded is death. It is the Lord that works in us to will and to do of his own good pleasure. The people of God, their hope, their strength is in the Lord, crying to the Lord, looking to the Lord. And in our text it's considering him, considering what he came to do, considering what he has done. And I want to look then lastly at considering the suffering he endured in gaining that victory. And it is in considering that may we have some fellowship with the Lord in his sufferings. May we remember the cost. May we remember also that as he was in the world, so also are we. And if they did these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And if they heard the words of the Lord or rejected them, will they not do the same unto us? Our Lord said, if they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. A very clear difference between the people of God and the world and in their bodies they have a body that Paul in Romans 7 uh, says is a body of death it is the flesh it is one that all the time sins it can only sin Uh, but there is in the soul that which loves the things of God desires the things of God in the resurrection it won't be so It will be like our Lord was on the earth. Our Lord had a real body and a real soul. And there was no conflict between the body and the soul. Both were perfectly sinless and pure and holy. And no conflict with the Godhead either. And in the resurrection, the bodies that we shall have will not be like we have now. They'll be real bodies like we have now. And so united to them, but they won't be any sinful propensities, not at all, no conflict at all, a complete oneness. But here below, the Lord has so ordered it that there is and there will be the conflict. And there will be that conflict not only inward, but with the world and the devil and all of those that hate the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to consider the sufferings that the Lord endured to gain this victory. And if we are also to gain the victory, then there will be that path of sufferings as well, in a very similar way, so that we have, by experience, some fellowship with the Lord, some realising what he went through. No two people can have, say, an operation maybe appendix or whatever it is, those who have never had that operation, they haven't known what it's felt like leading up to it or recovery or anything like that. But two people both who have can compare notes, well, they only have to say that they've had it and the other one knows exactly what the other one has gone through. 
And, and yet in that sense, what they've gone through is only for themselves. They, they haven't endured that operation or the pains or what, for anyone else, but for their own healing. But those things that we go through, they'll give some insight into what the Lord endured that he suffered not for himself, now not because of his sin, but for us and to accomplish the victory for us. And these are the reasons why we are to walk this path through sufferings. And so the things we are to consider are just five of them here. The first is in our text, and that is the contradiction of sinners against himself. Consider him that endured. It wasn't just for a moment, just for a day, just for a few hours, but endured it again and again and again for the three years of his ministry. He was saying one thing and sinners contradicted him. He said that he was the son of the father. They said, no, he was from Beelzebub. They said that Joseph was his father. He says that God was his father. And all the time they opposed him and contradicted that which he was saying. In one sense of that, thinking, uh, and they were the religious leaders of their day that were looked up to by those that were listening. And they're religious leaders today that are contradicting the word of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But in Christ's day, it didn't stop their being believers it didn't stop there being those that were brought to a true knowledge. And it would be a good thing if we really considered what our Lord endured here in his life, in his time here below, and that we would endure the same, the contradiction of sinners against ourselves. Our Lord then also was forsaken my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Not only by man, they all forsook him and fled, but by God himself, hiding his father's face from him. Dear Job knew what it was to have friends that came first to sympathise with him, but then, then they were miserable comforters and they couldn't help him. And many of the people of God know what it is to be forsaken of friends, of brethren, to be a sparrow alone upon the housetop, to know what it is as Job again. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. He looked on the right hand and on the left, he could not find the Lord. Now the Lord knew what it was to walk this path. Then we have our Lord's humiliation. Uh, we have the rendering of it in, in Acts, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. That's another rendering of that in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, we have much of his sufferings that are set before us. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Those times when we don't speak, we can't speak, we silently endure what is laid to our charges. We have him that was wounded for our transgressions. We just read that simple statement, didn't we, uh, with the uh, scourging, Pilate. And we have in Psalm 129, the plowers ploughed upon my back and that made deep their furrows. The very real, agonising, painful aspects of our Lord's sufferings in the preparation for crucifixion and the crucifixion itself, that which he endured that is so graphically set forth in Isaiah 53. Man of sorrows acquainted with grief, smitten, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised, for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And all the time the emphasis of this passage is that those sufferings that he endured, our transgressions, our iniquities, our peace, uh, with stripes that we are healed. And it's all the substitutionary offering. It's a work that's done because of our sins and to purchase our peace. And we are to consider this, Isaiah 53, a very good chapter to really ponder over and to consider, and one that the Holy Ghost has set the seal upon in the preaching of Philip to the eunuch, and so blessed to the eunuch that time. Then we have the temptations of our Lord. We know how he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness and that is part of what he is qualified to sustain and help his dear people in their temptations. In Hebrews chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, we read, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succour them that are tempted. Clearly setting forth this as part of the sufferings of our Lord to be tempted. And then there was the suffering of death in that same second chapter of Hebrews. We have in verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. The sufferings of death. None whatever we may suffer here below. By the time when we come to death, it may be said ye have not walked this path heretofore. Here is a new path, an entrance into death. And it is said before us here, the Lord suffered death, the eternal God. God, there no beginning nor ending. And yet in becoming flesh and dwelling among us, he could and he did suffer death. He did die the same as you and I must die. 
and yield up our, flesh, our spirit unto God. The Lord said to the dying thief, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. His body still hung upon the tree, but his soul with the dying thief, with the thief when he died, in paradise. And these sufferings that the Lord went through, those things that he endured, we are to consider those things that he endured for that very, very same purpose is to save us from our sins, to deliver us from the wrath to come, but also to be as a help to us here below, which is very clearly uh, set forth in our text. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, or those things, not just contradiction of sinners, uh, but endured these things, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. If we want an antidote, for when we are wearied and faint, discouraged, disheartened, overwhelmed, then this is where we are pointed to, pointed to our Lord while he was here, while he walked here below, while he endured these things. This is God's remedy. Not ours, not our prescription, God's prescription. You know, if we had a doctor and we went to him with a case, we trust what he said, wouldn't we? Or would we say, well, actually, we, we, we want this, this prescription. But our Lord, he gives this for his people here below. He knows best the sorrows, he knows best the path. And this is what he directs us to look to and to remember. And this is what, when we come to remember the Lord in the ordinances of his house, we're particularly directed to Calvary, to his sufferings, to his death, to the suffering of death. And then our Lord rising again. You do show forth his death till he come. Yes, he is alive. He has ascended up on high and will come again with power, great glory. So may this word remember, remain with us and be under the Spirit's aid and blessing a real help to us. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Amen. <laughs>